What's up, hobby friends, and welcome back to Paint Bravely, the podcast where you can find a little bit of encouragement, discover new ways to make your hobby more fun, and most importantly, learn to paint bravely. And today, I think we're actually going to put that to the test a little bit, the Paint Bravely aspect of this Paint Bravely podcast. Now, we are going to get into some of the stuff that we've been up to, as we usually do, but we do have a pretty hefty topic of what are the actual things, or maybe not the actual things, that can make you a better miniature painter. We watched a, a ton of mini painting videos of people telling us how to do that, and then we, we made a big list. So we're going to go through that. But before we do that, Brent, what have you been up to since the last time we talked? Oh, I've been painting D&D minis, you know. I know. So, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, you know. I, I guess I can tell the, the listeners back home that I've been painting D&D minis. And, uh, yeah, so I've got a couple of, couple of varieties of that. So I've printed off some Hero Forge minis. You know, go to HeroForge.com and craft up what you want your hero to look like mm-hmm. and print that off and paint it up. Not sponsored. And, um, yeah, I'm still still trying to decide if those minis actually have a soul to them. <laughs> that's, that's still my question. Um, you know, I don't know what they look like if you order them and have the hero forge people do the printing and finishing and send them to you but i was a little bit i was a little bit disappointed when i bought the stl file to print for myself yeah that in going from the like web browser designer of your character to the actual stl file mm-hmm. they like took away polygons really <laughs> so so the the actual STL file I got out of my character, like if you zoom in not too far, there's just like a lot of flat edges. There's yeah. just not enough polygons for, yeah, even just huh. like an arm, like it's it's not you know a, a circle or or a cylinder. It's like like Mario sixty four, but it's like you know, you know, it's a, it's a polygon. <laughs> right, it's it's, <laughs> it's it's many triangles to make up a, a new shape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I, you know, for me, one of the fun things about having a three D printer is that you can change the sizes, mm-hmm. and so sometimes I like to print like double height minis, yeah, just to yeah, you know, get closer to whatever seventy five millimeter scale, something where you can get a little more detail on there. Mm. But with these Hero Forge minis, it's like I do that, and all of a sudden you can, you can see. really start to see those polygons. It's like, really? come on, guys! Like, just just give me a few more polygons. I'm paying for this. You give, give me those polygons. It's you like you gotta wonder. It's a setting. Like, yeah. yeah, it's it's like they could they could do that right in in a, you know whatever program they're using. It could smooth that out, automatic yep. smoothing of uh, thing. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how that works, but I I would assume it wouldn't be that much more work. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not heinous, but I notice it, and I especially notice it when I print it double height. Sure, I could see that. And I've I've only been working on my mini for this particular campaign, but I'm planning on working on the rest of the party's minis. Oh, campaign, you said. And yes. so, so depending on like what gear they have and all that, maybe it won't be as noticeable on theirs. Sure. But but my mini, he doesn't have like a lot of details on them it's actually a pretty clean cut shirt and vest and not you know straps and bandoliers and belts all over everything yeah. 
no armor plates all over everything. That's good. It's just like a sweater vest. And, <laughs> and so it's, you know, it should just be the entire mini. It's just like a nice smooth curve. Except like, if you look at it, like son of a gun, there's, there, there's the polygons. Hmm. Like, you, come on. Um, and I think they do have, you know, more polygons on the face so that even, even in the larger size, the face itself looks pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But still, um, I don't know. Good, good to get some experience with these things and and see what the the pros and cons are. In in general, like they have a lot of options for posing your mini and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. in general, it's a pretty cool little little system. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to play with. And, yeah. and I, I think I've yeah. said before, you know, I I painted one and I didn't notice any polygon issues, but I was painting a gnome at that normal scale, so it was pretty pretty small on its own. Um, I didn't try and blow it up. I might actually just see, throw it into like Chitu box or something and, and blow it up and see what happens. Um, cause I, I wonder if that's just you, the files you got. Cause I didn't think there was anything wrong like that with the one that I had. I'll take a look at the rest of my party. Yeah. Cause I think it might get, you know, disguised a little bit with more interesting clothes. Sure. That that's possible. Yeah. A little more complex. It's possible that they designed the basic structure of the person that you are as yeah. a basic, like, kind of lower polygon count model. And then when you start adding the details, those are the more higher polygon uh, objects that get over, you know, put over the top of that skeleton, right? So it's possible that it's just, just happens to be because you don't have a lot on your character. Yeah. That might be the case. Yeah. So uh, this this character that I'm working on for this campaign, um, so so I'm I'm on like an overarching quest right now to 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 get mini painters more interested in D and D and D and D players more interested in actually having minis for their for their characters. <laughs> well painted minis, yeah, <laughs> yeah, inter- interested in painting. It's a ghost in Brent's house. Yeah, ghost. Yeah, <laughs> I I love it when people think that cats will listen to them. Oh, they snap and if, clap and yell, and the cat just looks you dead in the eye, and it still knocks that stuff off the shelf. No, these cats are interested in, in snapping. <laughs> Snuffles came right to me, mm-hmm. so she's going to be annoying in a different way here. <laughs> I, that's fine. I didn't even notice. It's just you're off, off looking over there. Like it's hey, it's off hey. camera, but no, she she moved away from her scratching post and she's rubbing against my legs now. And uh, nice. we'll see where she goes from here. Yeah. But anyway, but anyway, been, been working on painting D and D minis. Yeah. And yeah, so so uh, been doing the Hero Forge for this new campaign that that I've started recently. And so this is one that I'm actually doing that's being recorded. It's uh, mm-hmm. 20-Sided Realms, the 20-Sided mm-hmm. Realms podcast. <laughs> and so I think we've mentioned this before, mm-hmm. but we're we're doing our marketing rounds right now. So uh, Blake from Life After the Cover Save and the 20-Sided Realms podcast went on Trapped Under Plastic to hype it up. Um and then on yeah. the Life After the Cover Save podcast, I was on there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Raquel from Rack Rex Arts was on there because she's part of this this D and D podcast too. 
and uh, we're we're on our marketing tour right now because the the podcast is going to drop in the next month probably <laughs> maybe probably you know i think we i think we yeah, did we, miss out though uh we should have gotten ed on, on this show yeah we talked about it yeah seems like we missed yeah we had a, a we had a there. really stupid idea of um <laughs> yeah you know trapped under plastic took a month off there yeah and so and so we were like wouldn't it be funny if we just filled in those mondays with just more mm. paint bravely yeah, and then the yeah. the night when we were gonna record the first like bonus episode, we were just like, "This, this is, is a terrible idea." <laughs> it was. We we're like, we got we got all the video up, we got everything going. It's like, oh, this is no, we're not doing this. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, we this sat at our work. podcasting chair. Like, do you actually want to do this? No, <laughs> not really. Yeah. <laughs> Although you know, still should have gotten him on. Good old Robo Ed from Life After the Cover Save, but. We did not. Have not. We should. We still could. It's not like we couldn't. I feel like. I feel like. Uh, we could. Yeah. We could. He got left out a little yeah. bit. Yeah. That was that was all part of our plan to, to one-up Scott and John. If they were going to have Blake on the 1st of November, yeah. we were going to have, we were going to have <laughs> Robo Ed. Right. His, his partner in crime like one or two weeks earlier. But exactly. That we got too lazy and we didn't do it. But, Pretty much. Uh, Sorry, Ed. We'll we'll get you next time. We'll get you next time. Yeah. Uh, Twenty sided rounds. So yeah. Yeah. So, getting all those minis. So. So on the exciting exciting phase of of playing a D and D campaign, you know, a uh, couple couple sessions in at this point, having fun like establishing who all the characters are and. Yeah, it seems like we've each got a, a little gimmick, a few character traits that are that are funny and are carrying through and are, are driving the action. So, yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to the the podcast because, uh, you know, I think we've talked about it before. Um, I started listening to Dungeons and Daddies, which is a live play D and D podcast, and like I really haven't listened to any other live play podcasts. I did I did listen to the Twenty Sided Realms quite a bit. Um, but you know, I was just kind of getting into that, so I'm 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 excited to hear one from people that I know. <laughs> like, it seems a little more interesting, right. like than than being this kind of, I don't know, just yeah, hearing strangers do a story. It's like, well, I've heard this voice before, so it's it's gonna yeah. be fun to see how that plays out, uh, especially considering everybody you know that listens to this podcast or you know their podcast, whatever, knows who they are, who you are. And how differently you're going to be for a D&D podcast. So mm-hmm. we will, of course, talk about it, announce it, and share links with that uh, when it when it releases, which should be pretty soon. Um, but for now, uh, look up 20 Sided Realms on your podcast services, because that's already there. So it should already be up, and you should be able to get that in your yeah. feed. Yeah, the, the campaign that I'm involved in is their second campaign. So they've already had one campaign... They, they they juggled up the the staff a little bit. They juggled up the team a little bit, and uh, I'm I'm in now. I'm in for the second season until I get cut. So <laughs> until you get uh, cut, <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. And, yeah. and according to to Brent on another podcast, I'm on the bench for the first person that gets cut. So I'll be uh, taking over for. And inevitably, you do get cut from the team. Sorry. Um. On that note, okay. though, what does it take to make a fun role-playing character? Because uh, I do know a little bit about your character. 
I think it's pretty interesting. I've heard some other people, you know, some friends of mine that have done some kind of more along the long, long lines of like comedy D and D, having like really unique characters. But what does it actually take? Like what? Because you say that everyone has like a unique thing. Yeah, I mean, you got me into listening to that Dungeons and Daddies podcast, which is Freddie Wong and friends basically yeah and all the friends it turns out are very talented and it's a it's a Mm -hmm. very enjoyable podcast um but yeah they they clearly put in the work to know their character just a little bit Mm -hmm. and and not even a ton but just uh their just the quirks of the character that uh make them recognizable and identifiable and and funny yeah um so yeah, when we were setting up this new season of 20-Sided Realms, we did have a couple meetings to talk about it to make sure that you know each of our characters had some personality, I guess, flaws <laughs> or, or, or uh, you know right. traits that could could drive the story by just you know things that this character would gravitate to and be funny. So um, my character is the young high schooler trickster kind of went to a neverwinter preparatory school <laughs> until uh somebody burned down the school under <laughs> mysterious circumstances mysterious circumstances uh, yeah yeah my character is also a a sorcerer a wild magic sorcerer who's just starting to get those skills so huh. you know, really really good at, at playing little tricks of of making weird smells and weird sounds and magic hand to put you know tax on the teacher's chair all that good stuff right but wild magic i mean sometimes that starts fires and like it can get just a little bit out of control sometimes out of nowhere. So. <laughs> yeah yeah so so that's a Chaz quartermain um his school burned down so so he's on like spring break for a little while <laughs> right. so he's uh traveled on down to Waterdeep and looking to looking to kill some time meet some new friends that's so that's that's good i like that (laughs) yeah so kind of the what i'm trying to mine for this character is he's he's a trickster and he has magical abilities and so you know when i was picking the spell slots essentially all utility spells like not magic missile that's just kind of bland and does damage but Right. You know, mage hand, so I can go and do things. I've got a, I've got a spell that I can make smells with. I've got a spell to disguise myself, and yeah. of course, I can create a bonfire if I need to. <laughs> right, uh, but right, right. Things any self-respecting and, teen in the in the Faerun would would need, <laughs> just in general, <laughs> like as yeah. a high schooler. <laughs> and then, you know. It, it, We've talked about crutches before, but as as a little bit of a character crutch, like when in doubt, my character enjoys fire. Mm. So, you know, when the party goes out on a dark street at night and some of the street lamps or, you know, street torches are out, like my character's got a mage hand flying around with a torch, lighting things up, you know, just, uh, you, yeah, we need some more light in here, guys. Like maybe, maybe we could smoke them out. <laughs> it like seems maybe we practical. Could, uh, <laughs> Yeah. It's very practical. So 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 in gameplay, you know, there's there's a lot of fun stuff you can do with uh, you know, just a utility character, but also you know, it's more more tricksy, fits more with the character's description and mm-hmm. uh being a 
bit of a pyromaniac is just a, a silly thing that's going to get us into trouble. So yeah. know, we're, we're, we're having fun. We're liking it. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always just so impressed with the, the D and D podcasts that are actually entertaining. The ones that are good. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, the way I, I hope it's going to go is that maybe a little less combat because some D and D podcasts, it's just, you know, they, they talk for the first 10 minutes and then the next 40 minutes are roll, roll dice rolls for combat. Right. Yeah. And, and that that doesn't exactly translate well. The role playing aspect always does. I mean, mostly always does, <laughs> you know. But yeah, those dice rolling, it's kind of like, yeah, that's great. Then yeah, this the, happens. <laughs> the storytelling and walking around and meeting kooky characters and mm-hmm. like, uh oh, Chaz is gonna try to burn this down. Like somebody, <laughs> somebody keep Chaz entertained before he does something right. stupid like that. <laughs> but uh, I think that's off to a good start, and so I've been. Painting the the party members for that, I think I'm going to use that story to inspire some of my future paint jobs. You know, there's there have been a few monsters that we've had relatively quick combat sessions with mm-hmm. that uh, I might use as inspiration for painting projects, and that's where I'm at right now. That sounds good. Um, yeah. I'm I'm actually starting a D&D campaign this weekend with uh four or five other people. Um haven't met any of them. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um well you've met literally none of them? Oh, I met okay, one of them. like okay. I I'm friends with one of them and they're like, "Hey, okay, okay. you want to come in and join our our D&D group?" I was like, "Yeah, of course, you know, it sounds cool." So it's it's going to be like an every other week kind of thing. Not recording it, not doing any of that stuff, it's just for fun. Um, yeah, but their, their emphasis is more that, that kind of comical nature. So like, yeah, you know, wild magic being a weird pyro kid, that kind of thing. Um, it was partially the reason I was asking, it's like, well, you know, what does it take to make a fun role-playing character? Is it, is it the, the spells or the weird stuff? Is it the, the character? Uh, cause I need to figure something out. It is as of the recording of this podcast. I think it's thir- it's Thursday. It's Thursday night, <laughs> and and we go live on Sunday with uh, okay. this. So I I don't have a character. <laughs> you could also just give your character like a stupid weapon or a stupid loadout. Oh, yeah. Like so that. you know, I, I had a friend who ended up <laughs> again. He knew one person in the D and D group and ended up going and didn't know what to do. So he he had a a whip dwarf. I think it was a dwarf fighter, but his weapon was a whip, and just all right. just all, right. all he did was just try to solve problems with his stupid whip. He ended up not liking the group, and then just trying to get his character killed so that he could have an excuse <laughs> for leaving. That seems uh, like the last thing. If you don't like the okay, if you don't like your D and D group, just politely say, "Hey guys, I can't do this anymore. I, I I got some other stuff that came up. I'm so sorry. Have fun. Best of luck. I'll see you guys later." Not. Let me try and sabotage the group and kill myself so I have a good reason to leave. <laughs> like, don't be that guy. <laughs> we all resolve conflict in different ways, Casey. I know, yeah. I know. And I'm telling you, that's the wrong way. <laughs> right? Uh, I wouldn't say that one way is right and one way is I think, wrong. I but... think it is. Like, respect and dignity. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, being being the sandbagging dwarf with whip, I think that's a I think that's pretty funny. I mean, that yeah. sounds hilarious. Yeah. 
just in yeah. general. Uh, yeah, actually, just, a character with a death wish sounds funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just in general, the the social interactions of D and D groups that go sour. I I love that stuff. What is I it love like? Those stories. Like eight yeah. out of ten kind of thing that they that happens or, you know, ninety I mean, percent. I think most commonly just scheduling problems happen and then they they pitter out. Uh, oh, for I think sure. that's what happens to most D&D groups. One out of ten survives for years and years. Uh, right. Eight out of ten pitter out after the first three sessions. That's true. I've, and... I've literally never gone more than two sessions. <laughs> not not once. <laughs> so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So we'll see. I don't know. I have, I have high hopes for this one because it's been going and it's... Uh, it's people who are kind of in a similar situation. Like one of the other players is uh, a YouTube guy. Um, so it's like, you know, people who are kind of doing the same stuff. Um, people who have families as well. So it's like it's set aside in a specific time where pretty much everybody should be free. It's like, you know, a Sunday night at like 9 p.m. <laughs> you know what I mean? So hopefully <laughs> we'll go more than two. We'll see. Good luck. I know. Good luck. <laughs> well, if you do have any more uh, interesting character quirks or weird loadouts for funky D&D characters, please leave your suggestions down in the comments below at youtube.com slash paintbravelythepodcast. I do appreciate it because I, I still have no idea what I'm going to do, but uh, I don't want to take up too much time on this yeah. podcast talking about it. So, Well, the... The way this does tie into mini painting is because, you know, through the course of a role-playing game, you can get invested in some of the characters, whether they're NPCs or your friend's mm-hmm. player character or your player character, and whether or not you're actually using minis to represent yourself in the game. It can be fun to, yeah, to, to memorialize your character in physical form, you know, try to That's true. see if you have the the parts and bits around to make the character that you guys have have imagined paint a bump the way that you've imagined try to try to bring them to life that way um i mean i think even if you're just sitting around doing like theater of the mind role playing having having a mini of your character sitting in front of you that's that's fun that's uh that's cool and yeah. that um i mean useful for for both hobbies it's uh Gives you gives you some real purpose and drive to your mini painting. Gives you mm-hmm. another little quest to do at your painting table there, and and then makes the the D and D game more fun. Yeah, I mean that's true. Like uh, when we were we were down in Florida with Danny, I mean we we spent the whole time just painting D and D stuff, and then we played with it, and it was it was a pretty cool experience, you know, of having all the awesome painted stuff on a huge nice board. And it's like, yeah, this is this is where it's at. Yeah, if I if yeah. I was gonna do that myself, that's pretty much where I'd be too. I'd I'd have all the stuff and all the painted up characters, and like if I plan something, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna paint all these guys up, and they're gonna be for this <laughs> thing. And so I don't know, I'd be way too into it if I got into D and D. I think. <laughs> yeah, of course, it's a big difference between the you know the dungeon master and just a player. Right. Uh, right. So, I've, I've it's weird because I've I've I'm a terrible dungeon master. Like I don't know what it is about it. It's like. I've tried, and, and not, like, super seriously tried with, like, adults, but, you know, with, like, my nephews and, and stuff like that. And it's like, I can get so far, 
you know, and then it just falls apart. And I'm just like, I don't know, whatever, do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, we've, uh, on this podcast, a lot of the time we're talking about army games, mm-hmm. Warhammer or what have you, where you're painting a hundred minis for, for a game or 50 minis or a lot of minis for a, a game. Lot, a lot, yeah. <laughs> a, a, a lot, a lot. And so, you know, and then there's the skirmish games where you're painting four or five and, yeah. and then there's D and D where you absolutely do not need to, to have a physical representation of your character. But you if you do, it to. can be yeah. like a, a quarter, a token, <laughs> right. a, a, a little tiny printout, <laughs> uh, a, a nasty pre-painted figure, yeah. um, or or you can use that as inspiration to sit down and really craft your character. And yeah, um, yeah k- kind of tied up in all this uh, frameworks, the, the WizKids brew minis are, are coming up over the horizon here. And I did get a sample of four uh, of the player character minis ahead of release. So I've got you know a female dwarf cleric, a female human druid, male orc barbarian male elf ranger who is totally not drizzed at all (laughs) (laughs) i mean if they're sending out samples like i feel like that's a little bit on purpose yeah Uh, Yeah. if you don't know drizzt is a a character in a bunch of books dnd books you don't know ra salvatore well i mean (laughs) i'm just saying i'm saying for the people who are listening, who don't know. It's a character. Casey, everybody listening knows who Drizzt and R.A. Salvatore are. All right, if you don't know who that is, let Brent know. Like, not so kindly. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) I know I was wrong, and I'm truly... I just want him to see all of those comments in caps, I don't know, and then him to go, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're the, these are the little like $15 single mini sprue kits that, uh, mm. now that I have them in, you know, in, in my hands here, like the, the Ranger had, I think three head options and you could either build them with two scimitars or with a bow and arrow. And, mm. and I think there was, I think on that one, you had the option of cloak or no cloak. And that was actually kind of from a model assembly perspective that was actually the the more interesting type of bit where yeah uh i mean hands are easy to to just trade out of the wrists you know trade out weapons by by chopping off the hands of the wrists but the there was the option for you know a elf ranger that had fully sculpted front and back armor and he would look totally normal if he didn't have a cloak on but he but he also had a two-part cloak assembly Huh. The cloak hanging off the back and then kind of the front, sort of the like the clasp part of the cloak on the front. Yeah. And that clamshelled together just fine going over the the armor of the elf to to make an elf with a cloak. And so some of some of the design is, is pretty sweet. Um and again there's not there's not a ton of customization there. The there's a single pose for the legs, a single pose for the torso and and you know the upper arms um and of course most of the armor is completely the same 
you know, if you buy that kit, you can only build it so many ways. Um, mm-hmm. But, but if your if your elf ranger happens to look a little bit like Drizzt, you can make yourself a pretty sweet mini. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's the other painting project I've been working on is is some of those framework minis. So so that's what I've been up to. D and D on the mind for me recently. Yeah, for sure. No, it makes sense. Yep, yep. Yeah. What's going on with you, Casey? I mean, I you know, ever since I switched to every other week making a video, it feels like my productivity has uh, decreased <laughs> by quite a bit, which is weird because it's like I have more time to do like bigger projects. But so far, I've just done like, I, I mean, I did a pretty big like conversion project and paint job and like, you know, that turned out super good like better than i expected it to that's what people want to hear about casey you don't (laughs) need to tell people a list of like 20 things that you did in the past two weeks just just tell them one or two like cool (laughs) things that you did one or two cool things yeah well because i also mentioned it last podcast because that's how literal like the the time worked i was working on that model and now it's done and the video's up Uh... so i i've already talked about it as a thing i did you know what i mean so that's that's where I'm kind of just like, well, yeah. What else did I do? <laughs> um, working on a troll I don't hag. Remember you talking about the troll hag? Tell us about no, the that's troll cause hag. No, that's because that's that's this week, right? So the video, okay, the last one that? I talked about. Not really. I mean, I could show it. Um, the video won't be up until the following week. So this goes up on a Monday, and it won't okay, be up until the following tease. Sunday. Little tease. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can show it. I can show a, a whip. As they say, the cool My kids. D&D minis aren't on the YouTubes. I, I talk about them. Yeah. Well, that's, that's true. But, like, how many things do you talk about aren't on the YouTube? All of them. All of them. Uh, Tell I us know. about this hag, Casey. <laughs> My point. Um, so, okay, I'm painting a, a troll hag, and it's actually almost done. I've, I've spent all week working on it. So, you know, four days so far of, like, straight-up painting, which is probably the most time I've ever put into a model ever. And I mean, it, it makes sense that I'm looking at it going, okay, this is probably one of the better painted models I've ever painted. So, yeah, yeah, it's a good correlation. Hey, you, you've been being so lazy, Casey. This this model, probably <laughs> the most time I've ever put into a model. I just feel I, so it lazy. Feels, it feels lazy. It feels like, <laughs> like I could have finished this 12 hours ago and moved on to something else. <laughs> like... I'm, I don't know. It's just one of those weird feelings, I guess, uh, of like, I could be doing a lot more. Um, so, yeah. so, uh, well, tell us about that then spending so much time on a mini, like, are there, what are, what are the diminishing returns like, or, or are you, are you breaking through into new and interesting territories here? That's, that's What's the weird on? thing. So, so, so far. I haven't hit a point where there have been diminishing returns, really. Um, I mean, maybe a little bit I'm starting to get to because I'm kind of at, just at the tail end of the painting process where I'm looking at it going, okay, well, you know, I could spend a little more time here making this a little brighter, doing this or whatever. Um, but, like, up until today, there were large sections of this model that I hadn't even started yet, and it had been several days, right? Is so it, it's is like it just because it's a like big and detailed or a, a little bit. It is a Forge World model, so there's some pretty insane detail. It's actually a really well done model from Forge World, which doesn't usually 
happen, it seems like, um, at least in my experience. But it is, it, it just has a ton of stuff on it. Like little tiny, like there's a starfish. And I'll, I'll try and get a better picture of this if we can't zoom in, but there's a starfish like right above her ass crack. And it's the tiniest little thing. And it's just so hanging why, why out. Why don't you describe, describe the macro version of this? <laughs> The macro version? Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a so far you know that this is a troll from Forge World that has a starfish, but... Yeah. And an ass crack. Yeah. Set the scene. Set the scene, this, this, Casey. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this is a fairly large troll. Uh, it's probably three space marines tall. Uh, and she's completely naked. So that's a thing. She's got giant troll hag... Nipples just right in your face, right there, uh, carrying a bag over one shoulder and a giant like walking stick in the other hand. But the so like the model itself is is pretty large, and there are details. There just happens to be a starfish right above her ass crack, and it's very small, and you might not even see it. But I, I was getting in there, and it's like there's like three colors on that on that starfish. I got like some some reds mm. and some oranges, some little highlights with some whites in there, and it's like it looks real good. But it's like that's the kind of time I was spending on on these little details. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad that you're you're taking the time to do that because, man, think of think of how much time the sculptor took to put that detail there. It I mean, probably for... <laughs> probably was all done with a troll hag, and then was about ready to like turn it in. But the boss wasn't there that Monday, so they had like an extra day to work on it. You know what? I'm gonna put a starfish right there. Why that not? Is, that's entirely possible. I mean, I question the starfish because uh, most of these trolls, at least in the Warhammer universe, like you know, you're talking about your trogoths, right? Because uh, this is like a trogoth hag, which is it's just you know an IP version of saying trolls without getting you know, in trouble or whatever. But the starfish is from the ocean. And uh, as far as I know, these trolls only live in rivers. So I don't know. It seems a little weird. It's a weird choice. There's also an octopus. Yeah, I don't know. This is it's kind of strange. All like rivers run I'm... to the sea, Casey. Yes, that's that's actually not true. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> Look, some of those river trogoths are just following the river along, you know. Right. F following the the salmon, and uh, sure, well, they end up if at the sea, salmon, and then, then they, yes, that river and they start eating the their shellfish, you know. I just, I just, I think it's weird because like uh, you don't usually see that. This this model seems very set apart from Games Workshop in a lot of ways. Partially the nudity, um, and and then just yeah, like the story that it's telling. There there are sea creatures on this troll, and that's kind of jumps out at me it's a little weird um yeah which kind of brings up a whole thing of like i don't know i i almost didn't paint this because i didn't want to put it up on my channel because of the giant boobs <laughs> and i'm still like wondering how if i should frame around that or or just like throw a bar up or something you know what i mean um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on like not safe for work models in general? 
So the the one time that I really came up against this was for a Goobertown roulette. I pulled out a an old metal mini from my from my box and yeah. it was an old citadel barbarian woman of some kind and just for no reason like one of her breasts was exposed and just yeah it was right. a tiny little uh, metal mini with lumpy nipple on it uh, but i was just like uh yeah it, it was kind of like better safe that's our i mean Partially, it was an excuse because I didn't want to paint that model. So hard to draw again, but uh, hey, in you go, <laughs> roulette um, exposed. <laughs> so I think I think this is more of a problem for people who have YouTube channels and are a little yeah. bit worried about. I mean, YouTube theoretically has enough AI to to recognize a, a human nipple. Um, you probably. <laughs> Probably isn't gonna pick up on your your river trogoth. Uh, <laughs> they they don't look real. Like they're they're definitely not too real looking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like like in terms of not safe for work paint jobs on minis. I mean, there are some Instagram accounts with some of these you know uh, like display scale models. Yeah. Of of you know attractive ladies wearing silks and see-through silks and very 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 good painters and mm -hmm. every once in a while instagram will will flag one of their posts because they're they're too good at painting um, i mean that that does say something right like if you're right? too good that's the ai a, is gonna be like it, hey now in that's, some ways that's, that's a mark real. of pride right <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting i didn't think about it that way <laughs> yeah um I mean, at the moment, I, I don't have uh, a strong interest in that type of art, and so it's not mm -hmm. a big issue for me. But, like, in terms of YouTube, I mean, I do try to keep my channel family-friendly and mm -hmm. also, like, YouTube advertiser-friendly. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just not going to come near that line. But in terms of that river trogoth, don't worry. I mean, she, um, she, she looks like like an animal that's true uh, yeah it's yeah it's not uh she's not sexualized um she's i mean i mean it, it's very it's pretty far from the line i would say for a lot of reasons that particular model mm -hmm. um she's clearly not sexualized like she's not topless to sell more copies of that model no that's for sure no, I like it. Like the fact that this this uh, this river troll doesn't happen to own clothes. Like, yeah, of course a troll doesn't own clothes. Like, we, right? He's got got a little seaweed here and there, a couple of starfish, but yeah, uh, uh, starfish. Uh, I am surprised a little bit. No starfish pasties or anything. They didn't go that far. Which, which would be an option, and, and you know, uh, yeah. some models definitely do have that, and, and not a good option. I can't imagine that that's comfortable in any. No, uh, yeah, but no, the the model is not sexualized, um, and like I I think artistically, it it adds to it, like the the sculpt mm -hmm. of her body. It is yeah. great. Like it, it totally fits the, it totally fits the character. I think it works really well. I think, I think it is a beautiful model and I'm glad that you, yeah. you found a chance to paint it. It's, it's definitely one of my favorite models that I've been wanting to get a hold of for a long time. 
And I finally, mm-hmm. I just happened to be, of course, browsing eBay, and I found it for like less than half of uh, what it would normally go for. Um, and, and you know, I had some issues to it, and of course, I just fixed them, and you know, it looks brand new. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I'm happy to have it. It's just you know, I uh, I try <laughs> and keep my my channel, like you said, family friendly. Um, I don't I don't ever want to do anything that's going to jeopardize like the integrity of of what I'm doing or you know and I mean to each their own I, you know I obviously cuss and and do other things in my normal life that I wouldn't do on my channel but uh yeah this is just an interesting <laughs> dilemma but I you know, I do know it isn't an interesting question of uh where that line is yeah and and there are definitely uh artists who are very close to that line on either side of it. Yeah. And the, you know, reasonable people can have, have differing opinions about whether that uh, is something that they're interested in for this hobby or, yeah. or so, whether or not they want to see that popping up on their Instagram feeds or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, and just um, for the, just for the record's sake, I personally don't care one way or the other. If you paint not safe for work models, that's everybody's, own thing whatever yeah 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 absolutely just throwing that out there this is purely yep. like yep. A, yep. a youtube conundrum <laughs> yeah yeah um so yeah on on you know my discord server like the way i handle it is we have a a separate room for this is where if hey are you working on something not safe for work go ahead and post them in this one you know sub tab yeah uh, nowhere else but yeah uh it's a good way to do paint it. Paint what I like you want to paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, paint what you want to paint. Um, I don't think you're you're going to run into any flack from, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, the parent of an eight year old who is now scarred on, on <laughs> account of having seen <laughs> these, this troll these uh, painted up are, super uh, <laughs> realistic by you. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, I don't know that this troll is pretty. Uh, it's pretty gnarly. Uh, I will say that I I did paint probably. I mean, it's not probably, it is the best eyeball I've ever painted on a model. Like, mm-hmm. hands down, best eyeball I ever painted. Uh, Does she have uh, two eyeballs open? So, she's got one that's, like, fully open. The other one's kind of squinty, so it's, like, real small. Okay. It's smaller. The actual orb is, is like, half the size of the the, the other one. So, it's kind of got, like, you can kind of see it. So, like, there's some color in there, and I put a couple dots in there. So, you, you can tell it's an eyeball, but... It, kind of like milked over a little bit and messed up um the other one is definitely like the the one you're looking at so yeah so something else worth talking about on this what's it the troll hag model what's it what's the uh, official the name of this Tra- trogoth hag it's now the trogoth hag okay. it, it is i, I don't know when this hag. model first came out maybe maybe there was a point in time when it was the troll hag i don't know river troll hag or something i don't know i i it, Probably has always been Trogoth Hag, but okay. Um, I mean, it's just a stand-in word for troll. That's, that's all it is. So I mean, it's been the standard word for troll for the past five or six years. So the, the, yeah. the question is, how old is the model? I guess <laughs> I have no um, idea. <laughs> yeah. So something that actually is, I think, unique across the vast majority of uh, you know Games Workshop stuff is that. This troll isn't fighting. 
it seems to be it, it's carrying right. a bag and a walking stick and it's got Correct. the bag like slung over its shoulder and looks like it's just trudging along and i think that is is it a, like a net full of fish is that what the bag is supposed to be or yeah it's 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 actually just a bunch of garbage from like i presume a river it's it's got some sea life in there like a bunch of stumps oh, okay a bunch of body parts um i hmm. what it looks like is is this she like waded through a river after some huge battle and picked up like shiny bits, things that looked interesting yeah. or food. Um, I it I'm just looking up right now uh, as we were saying that, like, wh- I'm trying to look up when it was made. Apparently, it, the model used to be called the Old Lady of the Bog. So there's a whole thing okay. about that, and I'll I'll have to look into that later, but. I can't find the year that it came out, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah. carrying carrying a a bag full of stuff and a, a walking stick that looks like just basically a torn down tree stump. Uh, there's yeah. even like a little it, goblin hiding in a hole on the tree, which is pretty yeah. great. It's a nice little detail. Yeah, there's there's a lot of cool details on there, and I just think it's it's fun that she's sculpted as if she's just like coming home from work. She's coming home <laughs> exactly, from a, yeah. a long day of scavenging. She's just trudging and her way along. I don't think. I mean, the vast majority of models that we paint for almost any game are like holding a sword or a spear or something. For sure, yeah. Or if they're a troll, they're holding that that <laughs> log menacingly, or they're holding a rock menacingly. And this this hag is just hunched over, hauling a giant bag of junk up a hill. Uh, she's got her stupid tree walking stick there, <laughs> yeah. and it's 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 not a combat pose. It's like she's walking home from work. Like it's it's really <laughs> interesting. I I love that model. I'm I'm super happy you're painting it. Yeah, it's I think it's definitely unique for like you said for Games Workshop because even all the other trolls are are doing something like attacking or holding something above their head um i can't even think of any other like non-combat style like there's some that hold up like flags i guess right not very many yeah yeah and you know some of the you know newer models that are like dioramas like you know the the giant throne kind of models and stuff like that those aren't those aren't combat, but it's not the same. Those are almost more like ceremonial. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, the the sisters of battle carrying whatever the coffin or the yeah, yeah. the bone boys standing on their throne or mm-hmm. um, yeah. I feel like most of the elves are hovering in the air for some reason <laughs> or standing on like yeah. a ceremonial rock. Whis- wispy yeah. bits and they're floating in the air and. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a certain ceremony or, or purpose or, uh, you know, hero rock kind of pose to those, which you can, you can like or not, but the, like, just troll rooting through garbage and hauling it back to her, like, stinky ocean cave. Like, right. That's, it, it tells that's a great. lot more of That's story, wonderful. For sure. Yeah. Like, it, it, it definitely has that story element built in it's like i was saying it's like okay why is there a starfish there when all these (laughs) other trolls are literally called river trolls or whatever it is you know um so it's it is i don't know 
I think I think we're missing that in some of the newer sculpts these days. Like they're really dynamic, they're really cool, but why are the elves floating on floaty wispy things? I don't understand. This floaty wispy stuff. Who knows? Who knows? Who Anyways. knows? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so that's what I've been doing. <laughs> okay, Contemplating cool. uh giant troll boobs and painting trolls. That's a lot to think oh, about yeah. there. I've also been making homemade wine cider. Huh. Yeah. So I got a, I got a grapevine in my backyard. I had tons of grapes this year, so we picked them, cooked them, mashed them. Now I'm fermenting two gallons with uh, cider and grape juice. See how that goes. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, should should make for a good Thanksgiving. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Just throwing that hey, out. It's there. important to have hobbies. That's that's wonderful. <laughs> it is. The hobby beside the hobby. I mean I got lots mm-hmm. of hobbies. <laughs> like probably yeah, too get many. that set up and then work on some, some painting in the meantime and that'll be ready before you know it. Exactly. And it's it's yeah. I don't know. It just I I did write that down in, in the notes for this week. But the reason I actually was just reminded of that is because for some reason I got a I got a a whiff of the uh, the bottles fermenting because they're like over in my office space, like in a, a dark corner, basically. I'm just letting them go, um, and there's just like a, a kind of smell <laughs> in the air, you know. Yeah. Mm, memories. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for our main topic, Casey? I think we probably are. I don't see why not. Um, All right, set us up. Yeah. So, basically, you know, we were talking about this the other day, just kind of between me and Brent, about the things that make you a better painter, whether they actually make you a better painter or are they just things that people say because it sounds good, and maybe you'll become a better painter by hearing it. We don't really know. So we're going to go through... um, a pretty good list i've i've we've watched a bunch of videos of miniature painters and i even put some of the ones that because i've made a video just like this like you know five things that make you a better painter tomorrow yeah you know like stupid we've stuff got like our, that, our so. cosmo lists up here of, exactly of five and ten and twenty things that you should do to be a better painter yeah and you know these things are all over youtube and I was I was diving a bit into the the old blogosphere today, mm. all over the blogosphere too, but yeah these these lists of things that you should do to be a better painter, and I don't know Casey and I are just we're we're doing a reaction video here where Kinda, we're scrolling yeah. through we're gonna talk about these ideas see if we agree disagree yeah you know so start us <laughs> off here Casey all right well I'm not sure if I want to. Start with do we do we want to just say the thing and not by who said it, just keep it completely anonymous. Yeah, I, I yeah, think so. I, yeah, that. just just say an idea because a lot of these things are posted in all kinds of different places. That's true. Like 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 the reason a lot of these are on our list is because they do crop up a lot. Uh, that's that's true. Okay, um, so let me just let me just grab one right out of here. Daily painting. That if the you know obviously meaning nobody's if, ever if tried. You, Who knows? <laughs> no, no one's ever tried that. You're right. You no, know, important. Dana, Dana is getting pretty good at painting. I Dana mean, that's Powell, true. she's been doing 
hobby streak for a thousand and something days. Congratulations, it's Dana. It's and uh, she's getting pretty good at painting. So, well, then there, there's our our experiment right there. Right, you go back to to hobby streak day one, Dana Howell, and compare it to day one thousand. Whatever is Dana a better mm-hmm. painter on day one thousand? I don't actually yeah. know. I assume so. <laughs> Did did we just cause two or three people to leave mean comments on Dana's like f- day four post on her hobby streak? <laughs> no, I mean that is like literally beside the point of a hobby streak. I I don't think that's the point of it. It's not to get better over that amount of time. Like I think that's incidental. Uh, again, with apologies to Dana Howell. Uh... <laughs> I I didn't do it. I didn't say anything. Come on. <laughs> um. I'm just no, saying, I mean, like, the, that's that's a good uh, test right there, right? Like, if you naturally are, is that the idea? Is that you just naturally somehow get better by putting paint on a mini every single day? So I think there's something to be said for, you know, accumulating time with a brush. Yep. I think the more hours you spend painting, you're you're picking up something each time you pick up the brush. Like, mm-hmm. you're... Even if it's just the the smallest improvement of brush control, you're you're getting something out of that time, a little yeah. bit of better muscle control. Yeah, that's true. Um, the I think the more interesting question is if there's if there are actually benefits to you know an hour a day versus seven hour binge on Saturday. It's mm, a good question. And I think. I'm pretty sure back when I was in high school band that the I was told to practice every day and yep. not to just binge practice before the concert. So uh-huh, uh-huh. I think there might be something to this. <laughs> uh, okay, well, over a period of well, a long time, uh, I I picked up a guitar, and when I started practicing, it was every single day or else nothing really happened so at least for that um if i wasn't practicing four or five hours a day then yeah you know i I don't think it would hurt i don't think painting every day would hurt like maybe that's a better way to put this then is it is it is it true is it helpful or does it just not hurt it's actually just a good thing to do if you can do it yeah no i think if yeah if you're willing to paint every day to try to get better at painting, I think it probably will make you. I think that's. I think there's some truth in that. Okay, some truth. Nobody's there, ever yeah. done it. Nobody, nobody in the history of the world has ever painted every day. That's impossible. That Except is for Dana Howell. <laughs> but yeah, for a thousand counts assembly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well then, never All right. mind. Let's take it back. What's next, Casey? Uh, let's see here. <sighs> um. I'm trying, I'm, trying, I'm trying to pick a good one. There's so many. Don't I, you let I'm, me down. All right. Or pick uh, a bad one. A bad one. Ooh. Maybe, maybe, maybe something we can trash on. Okay. Uh, wet palette. If you if you completely switched to using a wet palette, eh, couldn't hurt. Couldn't hurt. Do you use hurt. a wet palette? I do. I okay. do. I and I've mentioned before actually that I've I started using the Pro Acryl paints and they're yeah. thin enough that. I think, I think my wet palette actually causes them to be viable for less time because <laughs> they, they break down. They break down. They thin out a little bit faster. Um, 
would actually be better just to put him in a well pilot and interesting. I'd probably have a little more time with him there. But um, I think for for most paints in the Citadel, Vallejo, Army Painter kind of style, that yeah, wet palette, yeah, yeah, like is, uh, is it help? Is it, kind is of it thing? necessary for necessary for getting better? I think it's a useful tool. Useful tool. Useful tool. I like that. Um, for me personally, just because you mentioned the Procryl, I've been painting this uh, Trogoth Hag with almost completely Procryl uh, mm. colors, and I have not had that experience on the on the same wet palette, the red grass wet palette. Like they they've broken down a little, and I mean I've been painting all week, same palette by the way. Um, and it's not been too bad. Like they are a little bit runny. Mm. Um, but I don't know, maybe it's just the way I like to work with paints anyways, like kind of thin and runny, but, uh, it seems fine. I don't know. Just me. Okay. I'm... I mean, everybody sets up their wet palette a little bit differently. So yeah, I think it's worth knowing how to use a wet palette. And I think that there's a time and a place for having one, you know, if you're going to yeah. dedicate enough time to a project or, or a single model or whatever it is, you're batch painting a bunch of stuff and you need to keep that paint alive. Like if I'm sitting down to paint like a model for fun, eh, I, I don't know. I just, I don't take the time to set up a wet palette. If I have a, you know, piece of paper next yeah. to me or something, you know, well, whatever it is, like I'll just go for it and it's fine. Yeah. I think it's definitely useful if you're mixing up a couple of colors of paint and yeah. you're using intermediate tones and stuff mm -hmm. because keeping those mixtures that you made fresh so that you can get the use out of them. I think yeah. that's useful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think wet palette is a, yeah, can't hurt. Yeah, definitely. Can't hurt. I like it. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, that's pretty much across the board. That's from like actually painting to, to learn how to make a wet piece of paper and yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's a decent use of an afternoon right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I th I think almost every single video that I watched had that mentioned. Was hey, you should probably get a wet palette. Um, and that's true since they're they're easy enough to make, you know, at home stuff. You probably have. You might as well. All right, why don't you pick one? What's a good one? So uh, I was on a blog post today where one of their their top ten tips was use the best tools you can afford. Okay. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have given it that inflection. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the idea is you know, that you're not spending time fighting with your tools. Just buy essentially expensive tools and brushes, and that will help. That's interesting. Now, this is on, on becoming a better painter, right? That's the whole idea. Will mm -hmm. having the most expensive tools make you a better painter? No. I don't think so. Yeah, I I also disagree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can get 90% of the way with a $2 paintbrush. Mhm. Mm um I think there are 95. things yeah, basically 95. You need you need <laughs> a super tiny paintbrush and I use natural hair paintbrush for super tiny for dotting the pupils and eyes. Right. <laughs> like doing That's... the little tiny work. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, man, I, <laughs> so I actually, uh, just on a whim tried to 
use my Squidmar brushes a little bit more. Okay. And I've actually gotten so used to synthetics that they're not they're not helpful to me. Interesting. um, I find that the natural hair brushes they they bend easier. There's there isn't the same stiffness to them, and you know i've i've learned how to be reasonably effective with with synthetic brushes and then when i got these like super soft and droopy natural hairs <laughs> sort of trying to paint stuff around and trying to dab on some details and the brush just bends like what, what am i supposed to do with that you know <laughs> just a floppy uh, brush what am i supposed yeah, to do give, with that? give me my floppy quarter brush, brush. back yeah yeah uh, i on the other hand just... exclusively use natural hair brushes i don't use synthetic brushes Okay. And I love okay. them. Reasonable people can disagree. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Like I, yeah. synthetic brushes are perfectly fine, but like the, yeah. what you're talking about, that bounce and stuff, like that's fine. Like I'll, you know, yeah. if I, if I'm going to brush something that's like relatively large and, uh, you know, wet blend and, and do something, I'm trying to get in there and be harsh about it. Then like that, that is helpful. Um, but it also depends on the brush. Like I do find that the Squidmar brushes are a little soft, um, but I like that for a lot of like real small detail, real good, like layering and blending and like little micro details here and there. Like, I, I feel mm-hmm. like that's taken me a little bit further, but it is the last, you know, five, 10%, right. Of, of the little tiny details. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, I've been using the, the red grass brushes the the natural hairs hmm. and those are a little bit bouncier um hmm. so it, it you know it just depends um depends on what brand you're getting and you know how long the bristles are and how soft they are or whatever yeah no i find yeah when i'm when i'm using a super cheap brush i'm able to paint a little bit more bravely you know like uh right. less worried about getting things gummed up in the feral yeah yeah well that's true i i mean e- Especially like with a cheap brush, you're you're not exactly worried about what's going to happen when you dunk it in water and paint, get paint all up in the the ferrule and everything. Right, right. I'm like, spending like, less time cleaning the brush, more time painting, less time worrying, less. <laughs> I I feel like I've gotten so used to it at this point um, that it doesn't it doesn't really. But I mean, it took a lot of time, right? So it probably last good year, I think, since I started using natural hair only. And, uh, it, it took time to get used to it, but I guess that that's kind of the point, right? If you're used to using synthetic, then Hey, that's great. It's, it's, it's whatever results you're trying to get. If you can get that with your brush, yeah. then that's perfect. Yeah. 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 Uh, what about other, other types of equipment? So like clippers, uh, yeah, I know that one. there are like clippers to clip models off of their sprues or to clip bits off of the sprues. Those can yeah. get surprisingly expensive. Because it changes, like, the amount of... Is it, like, pounds per square inch that you're cutting with or something? Or there's some specific Probably. thing. It's like, this this clipper snips a sprue at a lighter pressure, but it cuts it a certain way so that it leaves, like, the perfect flush edge where the flat edge is because you're not, like, ripping the plastic apart with your dirty nine dollar amazon clippers you know like i've heard it explained Um, that way (laughs) a 
I mean, I would say that the $3 Amazon Clippers do a pretty good job. Yeah, they do. Pretty good job. Yeah. yeah. I have never you, had a problem with those. You're going to have to clean up that uh, that cut with your your hobby blade anyway, so. Right. Oh, except I did, uh, so I've I've used like more expensive Clippers that are, I mean, more expensive, I say not, not $3, but they're like six fifty. For like uh, mm-hmm. cutting down um, paper clips and stuff, like pieces of metal, and that's always been fine. But the three dollar pair from Amazon, one of the sides completely sheared off and just broke on a paper clip. So it's right, <laughs> yeah, you're you're not supposed to cut metal with them. No, uh, no, yeah. but uh, yeah, I'm just throwing that out there. It's it, true. It is but true what they say. But but no, that's. That's the thing, like, if you're working with a metal model and you want to cut the, the like, base tab off of them or something. Yeah. Or you want to cut their arm off or something. Yeah. Yeah, you... It, don't use expensive clippers on that, like, yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I think, um, yeah, I, I like to have the the reasonably priced tools on my on my table, the... I I could afford some more expensive tools if I wanted to, but for the most part, no, not necessary. If it yeah. if it works, it works, and then there's there's something to be said about knowing that if I clip this pewter tab off of this white metal mini with my clippers, there is like a two percent chance on any given clip that these clippers <laughs> are gonna break. Yeah. And uh, sometimes that's a risk you're willing to take. <laughs> I've I've had a pair of uh, it's like the nine dollar red and black handled ones from Amazon. I think it's their like recommended one. I have mm-hmm. cut insane amounts of pewter and paper clips and and like metal and never had a problem with those. Uh, and I have I have two I have two pair one that's just all around for plastic and one that I can cut plastic but I'll cut metal with and it's never broken. So just the cheap one, the real cheap. Yeah, I think being right. in the middle on something like clippers makes sense to me. Like willing yeah. to cut metal, you know, and it is still work. No, I think I think for for a lot of life, you know, going for the Honda Civic is is the right. way right. is the way that makes sense. You know, that's probably uh, mostly the hobby in general, right? right? Like yeah. I feel like if if you're right in the middle, you're like, look, I gotta. Uh, kind of well-rounded mid-sized sedan <laughs> that like mm-hmm. just functions and I, you know i can't maybe i can't go five hundred thousand miles or a million miles on this car but i'll, I'll get 250 you know and i'll feel good for my investment yeah yeah that's feels money good. well spent right there exactly yeah yeah uh, but you know All if right you go I... for the beater i don't know who knows what's gonna happen to that thing who knows yeah who knows so I'd say middle of the road. Uh, the high end stuff, like if you can afford it, it's a luxury, right? It's nice to have, but you don't necessarily need it. That's right. Okay, here's here's one I've seen a few places. Uh, go and paint at a hobby shop. Mm. Okay. You know what happened the last time I painted at a hobby shop? Tell me. I literally got asked to play magic. Did you end up playing magic and not painting at all? No, I painted. <laughs> I painted. Did you have to hang then, out with uh, the magic people harassing you and asking you to play magic? Uh, I mean, no, not for that. I mean, yes, okay, I did. Yeah. They were all there. Um, and and then uh, I left shortly thereafter. Uh, once the 
it was like a pre-release night. So it just happened to be like a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I, I actually think it's a good idea. I think wait, if wait. you go, were they asking you to vacate the table so that people could play <laughs> magic? Is that what, no, what, what no. was happening? No, they were just like, Hey, you're over there. You're painting. Uh, why don't you just, uh, come over here and, and play magic? Cause you're here. I said no. I probably should have. Yeah. I should have played magic. But uh, I wanted to paint. Man, I think, I think it can be a, a high risk, high reward kind of thing. Like if you, yeah, if you head in there and you set up, like it's you're there for a little while. Oh yeah. And anybody could, you know, walk in that door and start talking about anything. And. Yep. uh Hey, there's there's some cool people in game stores, and then there's some some people who you know maybe talk a lot, and you know maybe you're not interested <laughs> in some of the same things, and maybe you know maybe you don't want to hear about how you know Wizards of the Coast is messing up their release schedule for the new Innistrad, <laughs> uh, you know, set block. Did somebody tell you that? It's out today, you know. Uh. Not that specifically, but you know the, the <laughs> you know game store. It's like um, you know it, in social situations there are normally ways you can wheedle yourself out of a conversation. But Normally, but if you are yeah. like set up shop, like if you've got a little little placemat out for yourself and you got your tools, and you've got a little cup of water, like you're there. You're a captive audience for anybody who who needs a friend that day. And, uh, that's true but um, hey which which isn't necessarily a bad thing making new friends isn't a bad thing but hey yeah you, that's a risk you got to take sometimes yeah yeah i mean okay so the reason that i i went to the hobby shop is because it was there was a designated time it's like the third friday of every month uh people were supposed to be there and i was told by some person Right. Uh that they were gonna be there with some other people. Uh in fact a couple of uh Golden Demon winning painters and they were gonna be hanging out and we're all hanging out and I got invited to hang out. What do you know? Nobody showed up. It's probably because they found out that the pre release was happening. They're like, oh, I'm not going to that. <laughs> it's just a bunch of magic players. Like yeah. nobody cares. Nobody cares about the, the painting. I mean like they're gonna be taking yeah. up the tables, so I didn't get the memo, unfortunately. Yeah, but I do think yeah, I mean, that I'm yeah, a... if you go in and you happen to know that there are people there that will be painting, specifically if they're better than you are, I think it's worth going. Yeah, my uh, my shop has started doing the like paint and take with with whiz kids, the old uh, PVC whiz kids again, and I'm actually sure. kind of curious to see like what the what the range of of people who show up for that is i i mean i assume it's more towards the novice than than otherwise but still uh that would actually be be really interesting to see um yeah, yeah, yeah i think know. yeah i think a lot of game stores will at least have like once a month on the calendar as a show up and paint day yeah and I get the impression that not a lot of people take advantage of it in most stores. I could be wrong. It seems um, like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Seems like that. 
In my experience, yeah. that's usually the case. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if you if you show up and and make a new friend and see somebody working on a model that you've never seen before, using a technique you've never seen before, working yeah with who who knows what you might get exposed to that way, and another way to you know spend some time while getting those those hours in with your brush. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, but I would say painted a hobby shop. I'd say risky. I'd say it could go either way. I'd say not strictly necessary for becoming a better painter, but you could get lucky. You could get lucky. That's true. So I would put that in the category of if you get lucky, yes, it can make you a better painter. If you get lucky. Right. Here's here's one I saw on a blog. Okay. Um as you're painting prioritize contrast over colors or neatness contrast is more important than color choice contrast is more important than coloring inside the lines that's interesting i mean without really thinking about it too hard i'm just gonna say no because being neat probably more than the other things is going to get you further like I, I get the idea of like understanding contrast before understanding color or maybe mm-hmm. even before getting like good at filling in those things cleanly because that's going to sell your model. But like yeah. without knowing a little bit more about color or without really knowing how to place colors on the model neatly, how do you know how to place contrast? Okay. It seems like too many steps further past being just able to put paint yeah. on the model to begin with. I don't know. Just my take on it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's like an exercise of, you know, sit down today. Today, I'm going to prioritize contrast as, yeah, as, as an exercise, as a way to expand your horizons a little bit, as a way to challenge yourself, push yourself, and see see the power of, of really building in the lights and darks or or whatever yeah. that type of contrast is you're going for. Um, I can see that, for sure. But, um, yeah, of those three, contrast, color, and neatness, I think I I prioritize neatness, color, contrast, in that order, probably. But That's, yeah, um, I'd say that. that's pretty accurate. Yeah. No, I mean, contrast obviously can do some, some awesome things and is a useful skill style uh to 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 learn but that's a good question where that falls into skill style because like high contrast painting can be a style i i do think that like getting a specific amount of contrast and having that in the back of your mind um maybe when you're picking colors too because that's i don't know that's it's usually like my go-to um you know like you throw up a color wheel and you go, okay, well, literally, what is the contrast to the color I'm painting? And it's like, it's safe to say you could probably put that color on the model and it's going to look pretty good and it's going to contrast and help sell your model. It's going to pop, you know, pop the colors out a little bit better, uh, even on the most basic level, you know? I like it's an exercise. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one of, one of my favorite ways to put contrast onto a model that doesn't have it yet is to do panel lining or black lining 
There you go. And yeah. that's all about neatness right there. That's true. That's uh, yeah. that's prioritizing neatness and then deciding you need some more contrast and prioritizing neatness again. Well, exactly. I just thought that was kind of an interesting way to say it of this. Um, like where your priorities uh, are. Yeah. I saw that on, I think I might have seen it on the same blog in two different articles of, uh, now I'm forgetting the name of the blog and I apologize, but um, <laughs> anyway. Um, so on, on the topic of color, uh, color theory in terms of becoming a better painter, how important do you think it is to learn color theory? I mean, it depends on how you, like how you define color theory, like the theory portion of it, like knowing color combinations, things that go well together. Um, I think it is an important thing to, to know, like the theory aspect of it, you can go really deep with that and go like, oh, well, this undertone with this overtone creates this, or, you know, I undershaded this or appreciate it, or, you know, whatever it is, you know, you start to get into some, some more interesting things or like where your eye is going to look or what this color does next to this other color or using limited palettes to create certain styles of art you know, because you know the theory behind those limited palettes that were used like, you know, a thousand years ago on, on Renaissance paintings or whatever. Um, like, I think there's obvious benefits to knowing those things, uh, but I don't think it's necessarily necessary to go that deep. Um, yeah. You know, especially when you can pretty much get away with like, well, I know my base layer, my midtone, and my highlight because these paints come in triads, right? <laughs> like it, it's kind of spelled out for you in a lot of paint ranges. Sure. Um. So it's like they're they're trying to do the work for you, and then if you know, like, yeah, these colors go well with these other colors, and I know how those work together, then it's like you're starting to kind of get a a grasp on that idea. Um. Yeah. Yeah, the the knowing knowing each color and then knowing kind of a few tricks with each color. Yeah. The the more time I've spent trying to be sort of an artist, the more I've appreciated that uh, approach to color theory. Yeah. Um so there you know a couple of years ago I went through a little bit of a phase where I was going to those, you know, online color wheels where you can uh you know, get the perfect complementary color or, you know, triads or, you know, <laughs> there, there's all these things like there's to get a color palette that looks good, like equally spaced around the color wheel or, or across the color wheel or next to each other on the color wheel. And yeah. after a while, like all those rules just become meaningless or, or that, much, at yeah. least that was what I found, um, that the, Okay, here's, if you just go to the color wheel, here's a color that I want. And then there's like a couple of sort of standard patterns that will then suggest, okay, maybe you should try this or this or this with this color. Um, very much based on like the geometry, the physical geometry of the color wheel. And I I understand that that can work in some cases. Mm -hmm. But... You know, when it comes down to it, there's six colors 
and then you know <laughs> yeah. variants of those six colors and it's not that hard just to learn a few tricks for each of six colors it right. it really isn't um and i know vince venturella has a a series of his hobby cheating videos on this where the video is about like purple we're going to yeah. talk about purple um some you know things that purple tends to do well or not well ways to use purple better and you know, of course you can tweak it a little bit as you're going to lilac or or what have you but yeah um i that that is the style of color theory that has been more practical for me and mm. I am certainly not a trained artist, but as like trying to use elements of, of color theory, like just there's, there's six colors sort of, right. <laughs> you know, there's six colors. They, based on what pigments are available based on, you know, the, the, the weird little subtleties of how the cones and rods work in our eyes. Uh -huh the wheel is not perfect the color wheel is not perfect like it's no and there uh, are many many kinds of color wheels there's not just the one kind sure so sure. it's like it it goes so far <laughs> yeah um and and there's kind of you know several different ways of trying to explain the same phenomenon uh, yeah. yeah, different different color wheels, you know, ways to think about it that is much more rods and cones, you know, ways to, uh, but, it, man, there's there aren't that many basic colors. Like, just learn some tricks for yellow. Learn some tricks for blue. Uh, right. Blue tends to go well with this color and this color. Like, it, and, and to be fair... I would like to learn more and more of those tricks and subtleties, but um, yeah, for for me, the color theory of starting from like a geometric circle, a color wheel, and then trying to like get your protractor out and go you know 120 degrees over right. on the on the color wheel actually <laughs> hasn't been very useful to me at at all. Interesting. So. Okay. Um. That that's my hot take on it. That's that's what I gotta say on that one. So won't make you well. Okay. We also have to remember the the initial question. Like, will learning color theory make you a better painter? Like, technically, yes. <laughs> like, yes, it will. And 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 you brought up like, what are we talking about with color theory here? Um, yeah. My my little spiel on this one is. I mean, yes, you should know what's across the color wheel from what, like, just right. Like, know, the, know that, how to mix some colors together. Yeah. N know if you're going to get brown if you mix two colors together. Like, that is right. that is a useful uh, piece of information to have. Also know that if you um, mix Citadel colors together, more often than not, you're going to get brown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is why yeah. there are other brands yeah. of paint. <laughs> if, if your bottle of paint doesn't say what pigments it contains... If your bottle of paint is covered in fantasy names and not pigment names, if you mix it with any other paints, you will get brown. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> Obviously, we're exaggerating a little bit, but like it does yeah. muddy your paints. Like Citadel paints being mixed generally get kind of muddy and muted and like pastel-y um, because they're which not is, being which mixed is because... with the proper pigments. Yeah. Yeah. So, so 
a lot of our hobby paints, I, I don't even know because they don't tell us, but probably have like four or more pigments in them. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, you know, maybe those four pigments do a pretty good job at making goblin green. But if you mix that goblin green with uh, ultramarine blue, you're not going to make teal, you know. Like, right. <laughs> you're going to make brown because that ultramarine blue has a lot of pigments in it. And yeah. some combinations of the you know four or whatever pigments in goblin green and some combination of the four pigments in ultramarine blue are, are going to give you brown. Yeah. Uh, not teal, so. Um. This is the last last thing I, I want to say about color theory in general is if you are going to go down that road, um, learning the uh, CMKY color wheel or CMYK, my bad, um, like how to mix those colors up like in true pigments seems like the better way to go than like the traditional elementary school, you know. Hmm. Way to go. You get like brighter colors and I've I've done a little bit with that and like felt pretty good with that. So Yeah. Did it help me be a better painter? <laughs> Can't hurt. Can't hurt. And I in the long it, run, yeah, it, it helps. Yeah. yeah. It does. Alright. Here's a here's a good one. This one uh this one's interesting. You need to get an airbrush. To be a better painter. Yeah. To be a better miniature painter, you need to get an airbrush. It's useful. It's very useful. It's useful. For Uh, me? It's starting to get cold out where I live. Yeah. My my 3D prints are starting to fail. (laughs) uh, Yeah. But, so so yeah, like priming outside is is, uh, starting to be off the table for a little while here where I live. Um, So... It's it is useful to have an airbrush, but no, not not strictly needed. But but uh, when it becomes an option, yeah, I'd, I'd suggest you take that option. But no, not not strictly needed. You can go a long, 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 long way without one. That's true. Yeah, you can always just use a paintbrush, and uh, lots of people do. They just use a paintbrush. Um, for me personally, uh, having an airbrush expanded my hobby and made me a way better painter, like yeah. pretty quickly. And I don't know, maybe because I was pretty excited about it and I wanted to learn and practice and try harder, but, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you can it, very it quickly test out color combinations with an airbrush. That's true. Like just, you know, just the fun little trick of if you've got a troll and the troll is blue or green, but on parts of their, their belly and their sweet abs and, and chest muscles, you get a little bit of like flesh color in there. And you do like a blend from green on their back to a little bit of flesh on their on their dugs. And uh that that looks cool. And it is way easier to check kind of audacious blends like that out with uh, with an airbrush. And yeah. And maybe ultimately that effect on certain models would be better done with a paintbrush. But in terms of, of learning, just seeing what, you know, layering one color over another color will do. I, I think you can learn a lot of stuff about colors really fast by just experimenting for a few days with an airbrush. That's true. 
Um, bottom line, though, will it make you a better painter? If you went out and bought, like, brand new, you went out and bought an airbrush. Middle of the line, middle of the road. Actually, yes. Yeah. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yeah, yes. I'd, I'd think I'd follow if, if the If that is an too. option for you it, to, to buy a airbrush and some airbrush paint and play around, just, yeah, trying to make a transition from, from a teal to dwarf flesh on your troll, that's going to teach you a lot right there. I mean, not I just like about that. the airbrush, but about <laughs> some some tips and tricks for, for coloring in your trolls and your beasties. That's true. Um, let me see here. If you're going to use washes, then you should use them with a purpose and not just as an overall splash it on. I mean, I think eventually that should be the case. Yeah. Um, for it depends where you are in your journey. If you're if you're near the start of your journey, putting wash all over everything, that's gonna that's gonna up your skill <laughs> pretty fast, look, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that's a big like that. boost right there. And but, no oil, uh, the, the agrax are shade, yeah. That's gonna make it, your stuff. It does look muddy good. up some stuff, but yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Just using washes in general, like the first time that you do that and you go, Oh wow. I get this now. I get this mini painting thing. I understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> fill in the base coats and then, yeah, wash it all. It looks amazing. While the wash is wet, that's when it looks amazing. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, side adjacent note to that, uh, oil washes. Do they make you a better painter? No. I, they're, they're a fun trick. They're they're a trick. But, you know, they're sure. they're a different style, they're a different trick. They're you know, they're they're fine. Alright. Yeah. I, I I look, I know you love your, your grimes and your oils and uh I do. I do like them. Yeah, that no, that's definitely a style. Like yeah. If you want if you want your models to look like Casey models, then yeah, you better learn how to <laughs> use some, some oil paints. But Right. Um now I know, uh, like James Wapple uses oil paints, not not the washes, but like just uses just oil up, paints yeah. because he gets <laughs> very vibrant colors out of them. Yeah. Um, but he, he's uh, good. <laughs> yep. And 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 there's, I'd actually, you know, there's there. I think there are more interesting arguments for oil paints being better for your hobby journey than oil washes like, like oil if, washes if you started are with oils or or if you just you know decide to do oils for at least like the base coats of a model sure to, because they like the wet blends or the oil blends or whatever um yeah the the oil in oil paints takes longer to evaporate than water in in you know standard uh, acrylic paints so you have more working time to blend a couple of colors together and so you kind of get better wet blends on uh, a mini that you're painting with oil paints that's true and then that will take hours or days to dry but you can get 
a pretty sweet, you know, for example, your, your base coat could have some really sweet blends in it. Let it dry for a day or two, come back and paint it with whatever you want after that. Yeah. Um, that's something I, I haven't actually done enough of. I have like a nice oil set. Hmm. And like for painting like this, this Trogoth hag, that actually might've been a better way to go than using an airbrush. Just cause it is like huge giant volumes that like, you know, it's pretty obvious like, Oh, there's a color transition here. You put a highlight on top here and the shadow and the cracks and, you know, and then you take a big, you know, soft brush and you, you blend it all together super smooth and nice. Yeah. Yeah, as a as a learning tool, actually oil paints could be really interesting as a learning tool. Like you have here you go, you have like three hours of working time with this paint once you slap right. it down yeah. on the mini. Um play around with, with learning how to do some wet blends if you have three hours to do them in. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that actually could be uh a pretty useful learning tool right there. There are oil paints that dry much quicker. Just throwing that out. There. Yes, there are. Yep. Uh yep. You can buy you can buy oil paints ones. that use different oils that evaporate quicker. Yep. Yeah. Um I I'm thinking like uh like the brand Aptalung is formulated for miniature painting. So they there, I mean, it's an oil paint, but there's not as much oil in it. It's not saturated. Like when you put it on your palette, there's not like a drip of oil that it's sitting in, you know. Um, so it does evaporate much faster. Um, and there, are, there are ways also around that. It still takes a long time. You get the blending and you do all the things, but then you, you know, you can let it sit for a while, you know, a couple hours instead or of a day or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea. Right. I like it. We should probably do that. All right. Here's one, Casey. Will a magnifying glass or, you know, magnifying glasses help you be a better painter? (laughs) So I have this LED light that attaches to the desk. I used to use it all the time. It was like my mini painting light that I got it like a little arm that comes over the top of your desk. And it has like a, a, a magnifying glass circle with LEDs around, it, right? It's for like sewing and stuff. It was an mm-hmm. awesome light for mini painting. Um, yeah, that magnifying glass is like, that's for nothing. You're, you're not going to be a better painter <laughs> like using that. Okay. Um, it's a gimmick like unless unless you have like eyesight issues then there's no reason to to be using something like that um i have seen on the other hand the magnifying like helmet lens and i i feel like that seems to be a little bit better because it's magnifying your total vision so like your head moves your vision is still magnified the same. So when you're up close and personal on a mini and everything is kind of in that perspective, like, yeah, that's going to help you. You know, you're going to see things much easier. You're going to, you're going to know where your brush strokes are. Um, mm. But yeah, the, the actual magnifying 
lenses yeah. that are just static. They don't they don't help I, you at I all. I think we can tie in the helmet. I think it's okay to include that. I've been I've been told many times to give that a try, and maybe I should give it a try. I've I've been told that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I so. Haven't. So since I do film a lot of my painting, I mean, uh, I notice pretty quick, like, mistakes that I make because my camera makes everything bigger for me. <laughs> right. And sometimes yeah. I notice it close to in real time, you know, looking over to check my monitor and, be, and see if, uh, <laughs> if the eyeball is entirely within the socket of the eyeball or not, or, or <laughs> if the eyeball is partially on the cheek. Like, it's easier to tell sometimes with, uh, yeah, that's with the external help yeah. there. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I don't, I don't know on the magnifying glass because I've been too stubborn to give it a shot, but. My thinking is is how many uh, award winning top tier miniature pieces have been painted by someone wearing a magnifying glass helmet or looking through a magnifying glass. I'm gonna say probably not very many, if any at all. Maybe I don't know. Well, I don't I, know. I don't know. But I mean, I, I've seen people paint. We'll go to Adepticon. We'll we'll ask people. You know, it's not a bad question to ask. Yeah. Or, Do you use a or magnifier? Wear your stupid helmet around. Wear your stupid helmet around and see if anyone gives you crap for it. Uh, yeah, we'll just. Yeah. That's that's a much better way to do it. We'll just see if somebody says something to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make here, fun nerd. of my helmet. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's. I'm just gonna say no. Don't don't bother. That feels like a gimmick. I don't like it. Uh, like unless you absolutely need it. You know, like Uncle Adam talks about it in in the vein of uh, you know he's he's getting up there in years and he's like this just helps and it's less eye strain. So I, he uses it. Sure. Like that feels that feels great. Sounds perfect. But if you don't need mm -hmm. it, then I I just don't see the I don't see the point. Yeah. Uh, especially most of us aren't painting to uh to win awards we just want nicer looking models for the tabletop and uh you're still three feet away so don't know why you need to get in so close that was a was a pretty good list of things we got through there casey that's a big list oh yeah. my my favorite one i think it's from it was from a specific uh person on youtube i'm not gonna say who it is but the the literal only tip they gave in their one video about improving miniature painting through like a, a list right was paint a lot that's a good tip i think that's that's straight up that makes the most sense to me uh well yeah. on that note <laughs> don't you want me to do the thing yeah. or, that was happening that's that was happening I screwed yeah, up. Gordon just typed apostrophe dash i i i i k apostrophe uh, so I, then I got him off the keyboard. But uh, yeah, do the thing, Casey. Do the thing. Oh, oh. on that weird note then. Um, thank you again for joining us on another episode of Paint Bravely. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help us out by leaving us a review on iTunes, subscribing to the YouTube channel, and sharing this message with your hobby friends. And as always, we appreciate each and every one of you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. We appreciate you. Talk to you next time. 